0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 119th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is men, hard facts, real solutions. I'm joined by Richard Reeves, who is the author of of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling, Why it Matters, and What to Do About It. The publisher is Brookings Institution Press. Richard is a senior fellow in economic studies at the Brookings Institution. He's also the author of the 2017 book Dream Hoarders and is a regular contributor to the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, and The Atlantic. Welcome to the show, Richard.
2: Thank you for having me on, Dan. Appreciate it.
0: Very much so. Uh, so, brief overview. What's the book about? And you even cited six main reasons why you wrote it.
2: Yes, uh, I, maybe I won't cover all six just to, uh, to, leave, yes. to spare your <laughs> listeners a little bit. But, but yeah, I, I think uh, the main reason was just because of the really stark evidence that many of our boys and men uh, are facing some some real headwinds, some some real problems. And chances are that there's a you know a man or a boy in the lives of. You know, whoever's listening to this now that is struggling in the classroom or to find a job or how to be a father in, in the modern world. And those are real problems. They're not made up problems. Uh, and they're not by and large in, just individual problems. They are because the world has has changed in ways that have become challenging uh, for, for many men. And so that was one reason. And the second reason was just this recognition that lots of institutions and, and systems have, have changed in ways that that have become more difficult in some ways for boys and men. So we have an education system, for example, that in some ways is unfriendly to boys and men. And we can talk about that. The workplace has changed. I mean, traditionally male jobs have been particularly affected by trade and automation and so on and then we've seen big changes in the shape of our families which has really uh, raised questions about what it means to be a father today and how to be how to be a good dad and many of those changes have ended up separating fathers from their from their children and so that's what that those so those real problems and i think they're structural in nature you know they're not just it's not just like you're failing as an individual it's not just a question of an individual stepping up and you know, i think the other two reasons that i'd mention now one is that i just see a big colossal political failure here. I I see a failure on the part of our leaders to really to step up to this problem for different reasons. In some ways, they're making matters worse. I think the political left are in danger of pathologizing masculinity in some cases. But on the right, you see this sort of weaponizing of, of male uh, discontent for reactionary purposes, and then the last one you've already hinted at this, Dan, in your intro, is that as a policy wonk at the Brookings Institution, it's quite long on solutions, and I, I do think this is a space that's a bit short on on solutions. There's lots of lamentation and hand wringing, but but not so much in terms of solutions. So I do set out some pretty big ideas. For some solutions in in education and in uh, the family and in the workplace. And uh, I hope we'll get a chance to to talk a bit about those. Overall, what I've tried to do is just set out as honest and authoritative an assessment as I can of what's really going on, Um, but then also with a positive agenda about what to do about it in a way that is pro-male, but also pro-equality.
0: Yeah, no, I I think it's a tremendously important task, and I think you've had the courage to take it on. And there are a lot of startling facts in the book that I think uh, make the case for why we need to pay attention to this issue. So let's delve into those and make sure we leave time to get to uh the— solutions that you're proposing. So there's a chapter called Girls Rule. And uh, back in the day, I I taught college both at uh, Brown University, Rutgers University, and before that at uh, what's now Missouri State University. And uh, I saw then already a bit of what uh, is even more prevalent now, which is that men have a lower graduation rate. I think you actually cite 9%, which is a pretty substantial gap. Want to talk a bit more about pink campuses, Girls Rule? What's going on in education? Sure.
2: I, 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 there are these glaring gaps in, on college campuses, as you, as you point out. For every three women uh, on campus now, there are only about two men. Uh, the graduation rates are starkly different. In fact, the, the, the gender gap in getting four-year college degrees is bigger today than it was in 1972, which is when we passed legislation to help women. But it's flipped. It's the other way around. So in 1972, there was a 13 point gap in favor of men in college completion rates. And now there's a 15 point gap in favor of women. So it's just completely reversed um, in a way that no one really predicted. But but it does to some extent that's a reflection of what happens earlier. Uh, all the way through the education system you're seeing boys struggling and so to some extent it's just expressed in what's happening on on college campuses at, at the end of the road and so even high school you see really big differences in gpa and high in in high school graduation rates and so on too so there is there's a set of problems here which because they're a, a, across the age range they're, they're almost every stage of the education system but also here it is important to take an international perspective it's true in Every country in the world, that college gap you just referred to, uh, Dan, is is present in every advanced economy in the world. And so, this is not a peculiar, a local problem. This is a much wider problem uh, that we face in terms of like what is happening to boys and men in our education system, and 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 how can we help them. And as you say, the statistics are pretty stark. One more, just in terms of high school is that if you look at high school GPA and you look at the 10% of kids with the highest GPA, two-thirds of them are are girls. If you look at those with the lowest GPA, two-thirds of them are boys. So just at every stage, really, you do see this pretty stark gender gap, which just widens as you go through. And that obviously has implications then for what follows work, life, family, et cetera.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I I taught in the honors program at Rutgers, and uh, most of my students were female. Uh, It just was was pretty clear from the first moment I walked in the room, and it never changed, course after course. Let's move on to the workplace. Um, Also, a stunning statistic in that case. You say that for men without a high school education, one out of three of them is not in the labor force today. Uh, Basically, I had to say, wow.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the the men who are really facing the biggest challenges and it's really important to say this are the ones who are lower down the education spectrum economically and so on and especially if they're black and so i think this is part of the problem with this debate which is that if you say well actually you know there are a lot of boys and men who are struggling if your if your audience is well-educated affluent upper middle class people they look around and they go really and that's because they're not seeing where the problem is. The problem really is lower down. And so um, what you're seeing particularly is this huge drop in labor force participation among less educated men. And you're right, among the least educated, it's it's, it's dramatic. And, uh, but even as you move up the education distribution, you just see like there are fewer men in work today than they used to be. And you are seeing this big decline in, in employment among certain men. And so that, again, has huge implications. You know, so if they're not doing well in the education system less likely to be having successful employment that has implications for family. And so looking at this thing in the round, what you see is a, a lot of men who are struggling, they're, they're dislocated by many of the changes uh, that are around them. The education system is not working very well for them. Um, um, but that the means that they then enter the workforce, not very well prepared. And the workforce, if you're not very well prepared is pretty punishing place. And in particular, what's happened is that the sort of jobs that men used to be able to do simply because they were, stronger physically stronger they've essentially disappeared there aren't very many jobs now there are some but there are fewer and fewer jobs now where just sheer physical strength is an advantage and more and more jobs where interpersonal relationships etc are more of an advantage and so that world is gone and we have failed to catch up
0: Yeah, no, and and it's the women who are often very good at the so-called soft skills of empathy and communication and collaboration, uh, more so historically, or at least by stereotypes than men. Uh, I've certainly seen that in in corporate life before I started my own company. So many of the managers were women. Uh, Very rarely were there (laughs) as many male leaders, unless it was very operationally oriented uh mechanically oriented and uh, so it tended to be a situation where you had executives who were still pretty overwhelmingly white male and managers who were um, a little more diverse there were certainly female black managers but the managerial core uh was at least at parity if not more dominated by women
2: yeah it's a good, that's all true but it's also it's also good chance to just underline something you've just said dan which is that like at the top reaches of many of our institutions there are still a gender gap in the way we normally think about it to clean boardrooms and look at congress there's still only one in four women in congress uh, and so there are still plenty of places where there's more to do uh, in terms of uh, promoting women's opportunities uh, it's also true that just uh, on average, there are these differences between men and women, but they don't tell us anything about individuals. And so, one of the one of the traps that people fall into in this debate is either to say there are no no intrinsic differences between men and women. Well, that's not true. But the other the other problem is to say, and they're so huge they determine everything in life right um and,
0: and that's it can't be it can't be overcome or addressed yeah, yeah. it's like
2: i mean you're, you're a professor you understand overlapping distributions you understand that things can be true on average but that doesn't mean that they're true for most people and so on so you we're caught between a sort of you know a, a, an unrealistic view or that there are no differences and, and an over determining of those of those differences but everything else equal you're right that actually there is a little bit more skill for women around the people side and and, and men have typically been more around things. So this is what psychologists call the people-things distinction. And there is some truth to it, no question.
0: Sure. And, and there's another chapter I want to touch on because we've we've looked at education, we've looked at the workplace, now we need to move to personal life. Uh, so many statistics here are striking in your book, but I'll, I'll cite two to kind of tee this up. Uh, one, women are now the primary breadwinner in 41% of U.S. households. Uh, another one, 40% of births are now taking place outside of, mar- of marriage in the U.S. That's up from 11% in 1970.
2: Yeah, I think that that just underlines the transformation in family life that we've seen in a generation. I, you know, I speak as uh, a father of three grown sons. That's one of the other reasons that I wrote the book is a little bit of personal experience of of seeing boys growing up in this in this world. But also, I mean, my my generation, in my early fifties, you know, the the, the, the the relation economic relationships between men and women for my generation are completely different to my parents' generation. Completely different. Uh, I mean, as you say, like this. Huge Huge number of breadwinners now who, who are women um, it's just a, that's a transformation uh, i mean it's a cultural transformation uh, and it's a welcome one in the sense that what it represents is a huge triumph for the women's movement to get what i would say is the main goal of the women's movement which was economic independence for women to make marriage a choice to use gloria steinem's phrase and to mean that women could stand on their own uh, and that's the message that Certainly, you know my wife uh, received, and that all of our friends' daughters have received, and that I would absolutely communicate to any young women that I know in my life, which is make sure you have, you know, economic power. But what that also means is a big question mark is then, okay, what does that mean for dads? And we haven't caught up yet. Again, it's a cultural lag problem. If we still see dads as primarily as breadwinners, and they are increasingly not fulfilling that role, or at least not, they're not the only ones filling that role what does that mean? And so what that means in practice is that particularly for unmarried fathers, and you're quite right, that there's this huge rise in the number of kids being born outside marriage. And I don't really see that changing, honestly. I don't think we're going to turn back the clock on that one. Well, what does that mean for unmarried fathers? And the danger is that if if really being a dad means being, you know, bringing a paycheck, then, and as we've just discussed, a lot of men are struggling economically. The danger is that we've essentially benched the dads uh and we say look mom can do both mom can raise the kids and make the money well a society where we've basically benched all the dads is not a good society especially for our sons and so we have to reinvent fatherhood for a world of gender equality reinvent what it means to be a dad when your partner is going to be equal in some case superior earning partner but it doesn't mean that we don't need dads anymore we need dads just as much as ever
0: uh absolutely so before we pivot into the uh solutions part of this. One more thing I thought uh, was very candid of you. You said you had a lot of people suggesting you not write this book, (laughs) that uh, it goes into troubled waters. And uh, certainly you have a chapter on political stalemate. And since I've been a columnist and a pundit for uh, Reuters and CNN and Fox and MSNBC on on presidential debates and so forth, I I know those waters a bit. But uh, can you just talk a bit about that maybe as a setup to us going into the solutions? Because you do very definitely dare to have real solutions you're proposing here
2: yes uh well thank you for saying that Dan. and we'll, we'll see how brave i'm, I'm actually being <laughs> I, I sometimes think people overstate the bravery thing you know it's like oh look how brave i'm being this difficult subject and then you before you know it you're a successful youtuber with a very profitable Substack, um complaining about your lack of audience um uh so i don't want to overstate this but but i do i do think it, it is there's no question that it's difficult water. And I think that's because for two reasons, one has become quite polarized politically. And I do think that particularly in the sort of, uh, you know, air war type politics that we see that, that the, gen, that the issue whole issue of gender and, and sex has become quite politicized. And so it really is a sort of, pick your side you know there's either a war on women and we still live in a patriarchy and how can you even talk about boys and men so come this way or there's a war on boys and men and feminism has destroyed the family and society so come this way and of course most people are nowhere near either of those extremes what most people are trying to do is raise their kids and make their lives work and make their relationships work in what are quite challenging times and so i guess it's just a sort of recognition that things are this is a sensitive subject. And it's also the second reason is because it's personal. I mean, we're talking about very personal things here. We're talking about ourselves. We're talking about our sons. We're talking about our brothers. We're talking about our marriages. Uh, and, and so this is a subject that people have views on. I mean, When you tell people that you're writing a book about something, uh, you know, you're out at a party or you're chatting to people, it's very interesting to see what kind of reaction you get. And I, one of my previous books that uh, was a biography of the 19th century British philosopher John Stuart Mill. And I could see people's eyes glaze over as I talked about. <laughs> they're, 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 oh, what are you working on? Oh, a book about John Stuart Mill. I could see them regretting it immediately and sort of trying to back away. But with this one, I could barely get two sentences in before people would start sharing their own stories and their own opinions, pro or con. And so this is a ver- this is both a very political issue and a very personal issue. And I think that makes it a particularly treacherous area. On the other hand, also an area that's crying out for better treatment than the one we've had so far.
0: Well, I took a 19th century British nonfiction course, and uh, I confess I took it because I wanted to read Ruskin and Wilde, but I really enjoyed John Stuart yes. Mill. Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I, I'm not going to take away from you the mantle of some courage here, because I think when we get to the uh, question of education, for instance, you have a, a pretty bold suggestion, which is to delay schooling for one year. What sometimes might be called redshirting boys. Uh, but you got a couple more involving education as well. So let's move into the solutions part and 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 tee up the topic of education reform.
2: Yeah. So you're right. There's th- three big proposals that I make to try and create a, a, a more male friendly education system i don't think it's currently very friendly to to boys and men and and the first is to start boys in school a year later than girls and the reason for that is quite simple boys mature later than girls uh, especially in adolescence so all the way through but in adolescence girls are on many important uh, measures of brain development almost two years ahead of boys actually. Uh, and and those are the, the sort of skills that you develop uh, around self-organization, the ability to stay on track, et cetera. This is like prefrontal cortex, CEO of the brain stuff. And it just develops earlier in girls, partly because girls have hit puberty earlier. It, it just does. And so for all the debates about sex differences in adults, the really big difference is, is, the, is the timing of development. And so what that means is that 15 year old girls and 15 year old boys, Are the same chronological age, but they're not the same developmental age the boys are developmentally behind them um, but we continue to run education as if that's not true and i and uh, we so so essentially the education system is structured in favor of girls in that sense like neuro neuroscientifically and also the other thing i've discovered doing some reporting on this including for a piece of the atlantic um is that actually in private schools it's pretty common for boys to be held back at that. i was told by one school counselor that there are two cut dates in our school one for girls and one for boys and the rates of uh redshirting to use that term for delayed start are pretty pretty high for boys in private schools and so they know something um, and and it's even and it's higher for more affluent more educated parents generally so that's a big one for me is to just try and level the playing field a little bit by giving boys this this later start um so that's number one number two and i'll do the other two very quickly is more male teachers uh, you know as uh, as people are watching the news recently we do face a bit of a teacher shortage so Let's try, and solve, let's try and solve that with the other half of the labor force. But actually teaching as a profession, K-12 teaching, is becoming more female every year. And uh, 76% of K-12 teachers now are women. Only one in 10 elementary school teachers. There are many elementary schools. There's absolutely no male teachers at all. In early years' education, it's even more stark. There are actually twice as many women flying fighter planes as there are men teaching pre-K or, or kindergarten um by as a share of the profession i should say so i think more male, and also it just seems like boys do better when there are more male teachers around uh, the evidence is you know it, it is uh, contested but there's pretty good evidence particularly in subjects like english um so more male teachers for sure especially male teachers of color but more men generally and then the third is more vocational training one one of the areas where actually boys and men do seem to do better and flourish is when they get the chance to do uh, vocational learning a bit more hands-on learning it comes back to the thing that you said earlier down about and some of the sex differences so you know i asked for a thousand more technical high schools big investments in apprenticeships and so on and get away a little bit from the sort of narrowly academic track because that does seem to help boys so those are sort of three pretty big reforms that i suggest we make to our education system
0: Sure. Well, you know, in Germany, for instance, they have a lot of emphasis on VOTech, and it's been very successful. Uh, regarding male teachers, I yeah, I see the importance. For one thing, if you don't have a dad in the house, uh, not to have a male role model uh, that when you then go to school uh, seems an, a, you know, just repeating the deficit or deepening it. Uh, finally, on the red redshirting, uh, just by chance, my family lived in Italy for two years when I was a boy, and uh, I was held back when I got back because Having gone to Italian first grade in a fishing village where I didn't know the language meant uh, I didn't come back with a whole lot of knowledge. And uh, being held back a year, I guess in my case, seemed to have, have worked out. Um, let's move to to the economy. So STEM is well known, uh, but you're suggesting a new acronym, HEAL. So uh, what is the... L for literacy, particularly in tail, is one question I might have, but just more broadly, what's the significance of emphasizing heel?
2: Yes, so heel is it, the way to think about HEAL is almost as the the mirror image of uh, of STEM, which is obviously science, technology, engineering, and math. And so, heal stands for health, education, administration and literacy and just like stem it captures both some actual subjects some specific subjects but also some skill so the m in stem for, for math isn't just because we need more mathematicians there are very few mathematicians in the labor market what it's really saying is we need more people with math skills there are lots of jobs that require those those sorts of skills uh, and we need more we need more girls and women in those professions uh, and we have actually made some Pretty, you know, made some big strides in terms of getting more women to STEM. We're not there yet by any means, but it's not nothing that most scientists in the US now are women that's that's a significant achievement um and the number of women engineers has you know, increased fivefold in the last 20 30 years and not by accident but as a result of serious campaigning so i see the literacy part of this is really just like a certain set of skills communication skills use of words and so on and so if you think about heal health education administration literacy that includes huge professionals like nursing uh as well as medicine of course but also uh a teaching um those sorts of service sector jobs we've talked about and the jobs that really require communication Skills um, and interpersonal skills to some extent. A lot of jobs are coming in those sectors now, and they are very, very skewed towards women. We've already talked about teaching, but but nursing, similarly, a lot of the service sector jobs. And so what I call for is a very at one billion dollar investment in getting more boys and men into these heal sectors through subsidies scholarships mentoring programs college degrees specifically aimed at them etc and so we've had this huge concerted national effort to get more women into stem which as i said has been very successful still with some work to be done but we need the equivalent because The desegregation by gender of the labor market has only happened in one direction, really. We've seen women really going into what were previously male-dominated professions, including very high-end ones like law and medicine, but very little travel the other way. Uh, and that's a problem because that means that the jobs of the future are ones that are not currently seen as ones that are very often done by men. And so men can heal and we need to get more men in those heal jobs, train them, subsidize them, scholarships, etc. Um, so that they can embrace some of those jobs of the future. It's no good hankering after a lost industrial past um, where men could do well through brawn rather than brains. Uh, instead we need to help men adjust to the new labor market. And some of those jobs like nursing um, there's no particular reason at all why this should be dominated by women. They didn't used to be. It was Florence Nightingale's fault that they became dominated by women. But that's a whole <laughs> other podcast.
0: Sure. Well, and and the opportunity is vast here. As you mentioned, STEM is about 9% of the U.S. economy. But the heel things that could be incorporated is double that, 23%, more than double that. Um, so it's a very healthy opportunity to uh, – create opportunities and rectify some shortcomings in terms of what men are facing in the workplace. So good stuff. Um, so one more, we haven't really touched base on, on the the personal front, uh, marriages, lives, uh, paid leave for dads is something I remember from the book. Uh, anything more you want to talk about on that front?
2: Yeah, just, uh, really that I think we need to underline the importance of fatherhood. Period. Not fathers as breadwinners or fathers as something else, but just fathers as fathers. Fathers matter. Period. Uh, and if we don't have that message and we don't we don't build that into our policies, otherwise the danger is that dads feel like if they're not meeting the traditional metric for successful fatherhood, they're not needed. And so you end up with the situation: one in five fathers aren't living with their kids. Uh, when parents separate, especially if they're not married, a huge number of fathers lose contact or regular contact with their kids. And I think that's because this cultural message is well. You know, you're not doing the traditional dad thing. But it turns out that dads matter just as dads, especially to adolescents, actually. the the uh, I was very struck by the evidence that dads matter for, for adolescents. And how do we send that message that dads matter? Well, a number of ways. But one is to make sure that, particularly for unmarried parents, that dads have rights. As things stand, if you're unmarried, in every U.S. state, the default is full custody to the mom. And the father has to go to court to get access to his kids and that's just yeah it's different if you're married but that we have a system that's built for the for the yesteryear and we have to update it but also perhaps most strongly i think if we're going to have paid leave policy which we should we're the only in advanced economy it doesn't have national level paid leave policies it should be on equal basis between men and women I, i i go quite radical here dan and say six months paid leave for both mothers and fathers each but completely independent Completely separate, and so what that means is, what we're sending there is a message that dads can take time off their kids. Actually, regardless of how kid, how old the kids are, in many cases, I think dads might want to do it when their kids are a bit older. Um, but uh, we don't want to send a message through public policy that mums matter more than dads, <laughs> uh, because uh, dads matter at least as much as mums, and particularly in this new world of much greater economic equality, it's very important that we underpin fatherhood as an independent social institution. The 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 sort of soundbite line that that my conservative friends don't like from the book is that we need to free fatherhood from marriage. And what I mean by that is it needs to be an independent social institution. And so anybody who is a dad that's listening or has a dad, like just it's incredibly important not to treat dads as somehow second class parents. They are not.
0: No, no, I I think that's, that's strong, good stuff. Um, Maybe a last question. So you look at the landscape, everything from any possible corporate initiatives to nonprofits, foundations, the government, what if anything is, is picking up on this, this need and, and this possible agenda in, in, any shape uh to give us um some some thrust forward
2: well i don't I, I don't see much to cheer on the political front right now honestly what i see on the right is an attempt to exploit some of these real concerns and um, that men have um, senator josh hawley has a book coming out on men next year and i think i've got a pretty good sense of what that will contain which is it's the feminist fault Um, You just turn back the clock. There's a reactionary reflex there. So I don't see much there. But on the left, I mean, the Democrats, you know, I see a a gender equality strategy coming out of the White House that makes simply no mention of any gender inequalities that run the other way does simply doesn't mention them so it's completely one-sided view and really so you know the, the the harsh thing to say is that the left are turning their back on boys and men and the right want to turn back the clock on girls and women and nobody in the real world thinks either of those are positive um solutions i think there's a bit more movement though like on the ground. I see fathers are getting more involved with their kids um, we are seeing women making strides in the workplace as we've discussed and I'm you're starting to see companies especially post-pandemic starting to realize that they do need to give their workers more flexibility that many of them are starting to give more paid leave especially right now it's the more elite Uh, organizations for sure. But I hope some of that will trickle down. So starting to see this recognition in workplaces that dads really matter. And I think that's an important and that's a a step forward. But I honestly think we need a bit of a cultural revolution here. I mean, the women's movement was a cultural revolution. We need a, a, a completing revolution, if you like, which is to recenter the role of boys and men in the family of new and more egalitarian terms to help boys and men adjust to the new labor market and to recognize when they're in trouble as they are in the education system and try and fix them. You know, we can think two thoughts at once. There's more to do for girls and women, but we've also got a whole heck of a lot of things now to do for boys and men. And most people in the real world both know that. And as parents, we're all trying to do that. Uh, It's just our public policy uh, is lagging and and I'm hoping that some of our business leaders can, can set the pace here because the problems of boys and men are not going away. And if they're not addressed responsibly, then I think we are allowing those problems to fester in ways that will be bad for everybody.
0: Well, very admirably stated and uh, an important good cause. So I, I want to thank you, Richard. This has been Episode 119, Men, Hard Facts, Real Solutions. My guest, Richard Reeves, he is the author of, of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling, Why it Matters, and What to Do About It. If you've enjoyed today's show, of course, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. Finally, I'd like to conclude every episode with an epigram. In this case, I took one from someone I don't even know anything about named Douglas Wilson, but his statement interested me. He said, If boys don't learn, men won't know. Until next time, take care and be well.